Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History puddle. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. Welcome to the Full Slate Sunday Scaries Pod, brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your co-host, Cody Dark, joined out in Chicago by my brother, Tyler Dark. Tyler, wild, wild card weekend, huh? Yes, great uh, slate of games this weekend. Road teams went three and one, so it's really exciting. And feels like last year the wild card weekend wasn't that great, so got a nice slate of games this year. Yeah, four games that came down to one possession. Um, and I mean, it's kind of all you could ask for at this point for us in terms of handicapping and our picks. Over two unlocks, we'll get to that in a little bit. So that was tough, but. I don't know all you can ask for with these games, especially because you get some of these matchups that you kind of don't expect happening to happen. Um, and then, for instance, the Pats, we just kind of assume they would end up in the top two seeds and you find them on wild card weekend. Same thing with the Saints, too. Um, and both those team seasons are over. Yeah, I mean, it really shows the value of getting the bye. And then if you get into the wild card weekend, you never know what will happen. Patriots have <clears throat> had a bye the last eight, nine years, and this was the first time since 09 that they didn't have the bye. They end up losing then the Saints today. 13-win team. Everyone was penciling them in to win this game, to go into Lambeau next week and win ESPN's playoff bracket they put out. They had the Saints winning it all. 
so many people were picking them to win, but their season ends today in a crazy fashion, so you never know what's going to happen uh, in these games. Yeah, pretty pretty crazy stuff. Um, I will let you get started here, Tyler, since it is Sunday evening. Sunday scare, and honestly, tomorrow is is probably like I'm gonna say a top five scariest day of the year. Um, in terms of work, I know it's technically New Year's Day last week, but with it being on a Wednesday, I uh, I think most offices were pretty dead Thursday, Friday, so it's everything back in full gear tomorrow. So Sunday scariest moment, Tyler, for you, NFL wise. Yeah, Sunday scariest moment goes out to someone who doesn't have work tomorrow. Um, eventually, or finally, <clears throat> their tenure is done with the Cowboys. Jason Garrett, he's finally let go today. They they won't even say they fired him. They just announced they won't <laughs> renew his contract. It's, it's such a funny saga. It started Thursday when it looked like he was going to get fired. The report's coming out. Basically, again, they wouldn't say he got fired. They just said they're moving on without him. It sounded like a relationship. Someone just being like, hey, we're not breaking up, but I'm moving on from this relationship without you. The whole thing made no sense. Went on for a couple days. There's a report earlier today that he was trying to convince the Cowboys to let him keep his job, even though they were interviewing other people. It came out uh, a little while ago during the Eagles game that they officially let him go. He's gone, so now... We will have a new coach of the Cowboys, which seems so overdue. And the way this whole thing's thing played out was so Cowboys. It was pretty great. Uh, Jason Garrett got his name into uh, another decade, technically, of being Cowboys head coach. I couldn't believe this went on for a whole week. Um, they met multiple times early in the week and kind of seemed like a done deal. But they they like let him meet, it seemed like, the entire franchise. Really weird stuff. Um, we joked about it last year. I know about the reason Jason Garrett has kept his job. Yes. He's a yes man, but he's got to have some kind of blackmail on Jerry Jones. And maybe that's what this whole week long process was. Um, Jerry Jones just really needed to make sure that Jason Garrett fully deleted everything he had on him. Like it, it makes no sense. It wasn't like Jason Garrett was like Mike McCarthy and won one Super Bowl and then the relationship just kind of ended. He never did he never did anything. Uh, they won a couple playoff games under him. Largely disappointing tenure. Um, amazing he lasted this long. But I, I really loved all week how this just kept going. It seemed like every, every day on Twitter, Adam Rappaport would put out a video like, yeah, still nothing definitive out of Dallas. Um, and we finally get it on a Sunday evening. They kind of seem like in the midst of the uh, crazy weekend of football. They kind of burn the story, just kind of letting it leak. And like you said, they never use the word fire. But, I mean, we'll see who they end up uh, hiring to replace him. Urban Meyer, Lincoln Riley, um, Matt Rule, a guy from Baylor. Or a couple names being floated out there, Greg Roman. Um, so we will see. Um, but kind of sad. I I was really hoping that Jason Garrett was going to be able to convince Jerry Jones to keep him around. Yeah, the whole thing was so bizarre. It's like a reality show, just playing it out. It was reminds me of an episode of Seinfeld when Jerry breaks up with his girlfriend and takes like 15 hours to do so. It just this is how this felt this week. It was crazy. Um. And they mentioned on is either ESPN or Fox Sports this week that when he was a player uh, with the Cowboys, they would let him go into coaching meetings because they knew he wanted to be a coach eventually. And when 
They hired Wade Phillips after Bill Parcells had left. Uh, they hired Jason Garrett first, making him offensive coordinator. And at one point, he was getting paid more money as the offensive coordinator than Wade Phillips was when he was the head coach. They eventually fire Wade Phillips. He becomes a head coach. So basically, Jerry Jones was like grooming this guy to be his coach for all these years. And then I think he had some hard time letting him go because Jerry Jones has to admit he made a mistake. And Steve Young made a good point when they were talking about it. He's like, either they hire someone and Jerry Jones gets hands off and lets that guy coach the team and he becomes the voice of the organization, or he just coaches the team himself because he can't continue to be so overbearing, so in the news all the time. It's just no way for an NFL team to run. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. They already interviewed Marvin Lewis and Mike McCarthy. <laughs> maybe they, maybe McCarthy would be a good fit. Uh, veteran guy, had success with the Packers. I don't know. I don't see it that attractive of a job opening. The Cowboys are such a great name, and they do have some talent on the roster, but just the way Jerry Jones is, I, I don't know how anyone would want to work for him. Yeah, I mean, end of the day, there's a lot of talent there. Um, so I still think it is a good job despite the Jerry Jones factor. I don't know how Marvin Lewis is getting interviews um, as head coach. I know he had a long tenure with the Bengals, and – they, they did well during the regular season, um, but I don't know. That's a little bit of an enigma to me, and I'd be shocked if, if he actually lands one of these head coaching jobs. But my Sunday scariest moment, Tyler, the Pats dynasty finally seems like this. We may be at the end of the line here. Um, after the Pats lost to the Titans yesterday, Brady was quoted saying, who knows what the future holds. We'll leave it at that. Um, he's a free agent uh, now. Um, there's some rumors him potentially going to the Chargers. I saw on ESPN some talking about potentially the Colts having interest. Um, your your Chicago Bears, Tyler, already announced that they were bringing back Trubisky for 2020, so that's probably not as much of an option. But I think all the Patriot fans, you've had an incredible, incredible two-decade run. Nobody feels bad for you, but your Sunday scaries are the fact that this actually may be towards the end of the line. Um, I've seen some Giants Twitter drumming up some hype about potentially getting Belichick since he was a Giants uh, coordinator. I think back when they had Parcells, that's not going to happen. Um, but I, I kind of think Tom Brady, It's I think he's done as a Patriot. It seems like the way they came out a couple years ago with the Jimmy G piece, and it kind of seems like this has just been bubbling under the surface. Yes, they won the Super Bowl last year, but I don't know, Tyler. I think I think this might be it. If you're Tom Brady, I mean, he's taken some pay cuts in the recent years. Maybe he always has also. And you look at the weapons they have out there. None of them are producing. They spent a first-round pick on Nikhil Harry. They got Mohamed Sanu in the second or for a second-round pick in a trade. <clears throat> None of these guys are producing. So if you're Brady, you're like, why am I going to keep taking pay cuts if they're not going to get anyone to surround me that's elite town level so maybe he leaves the chargers i mean for the chargers point of view that that will sell tickets that will get excitement about charger football in la um but yeah it does seem like this is the end for brady if you told me going into the game that ryan Tannehill was eight for 15 72 yards a touchdown and a pick I would have thought the Patriots won by 40 points. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as as we know, it turns out the Titans won. Patriots were down one. It was 14-13 at halftime. Patriots didn't score a point at home in the second half of a playoff game. So I'm Patriot-like. Um, 
And then, you know, with Vrabel coaching against Belichick, I felt like he was doing some things that were very Belichickian, kind of throwing it in their face that were working out for them. So it does feel like this is the end. Uh, you know, Brady is a free agent. I could see Belichick maybe leaving. Maybe the whole Garoppolo thing, it still irritates him how that played out because okay. Jimmy G plays well. But that's who he wanted to be Brady's successor. Now they don't really have a guy. I saw one person say they'd bring in Teddy Bridgewater, maybe, but like I don't I don't think that really gets them anywhere. So it does feel like the end of a great run for the Patriots. No one's gonna feel bad for them. No. Um but it is pretty amazing that ultimately what leads to their downfall the past couple of weeks is they're cruising along with for a bye. Ryan Fitzpatrick um and, and Ryan Tannehill ultimately could potentially be um King Slayers here and, and take out the Pats. This game, like you said, Tannehill only eight for fifteen, but this has been the Derrick Henry show um all season for the Titans, especially once they put Tannehill in. You have thirty-four carries for 182 yards. The Titans were five point underdogs. We talked about it. We like them with the spread. We like the money line. Unfortunately, Tyler, I only bet on the over in this game. Uh so that's on me. Hand up. Um so that's that was tough, but they just controlled the tempo and your lock of the week was the over in this one and it was cruising at halftime and then uh these defenses just kinda put a stop to things and I mean Brady's numbers again largely underwhelming. Twenty for thirty seven, two hundred and nine yards. He was picked off once at the end of the game, really when um there's only I think nine, ten seconds ago they returned it for a touchdown. So I I don't know. I think, uh, like you said, the Pats have spent high draft capital on the offense. Nikhil Harry, Sonny Michelle was a first-round pick. He was great in the playoffs last year for them, but largely this season, and he continued. He had a subpar game yesterday, 14 carries, 61 yards. I don't know, just pretty average. Um, they traded a second-rounder for Sanu and the 49ers, got Emmanuel Sanders for a third-rounder. So, I don't know. I think... Uh, I think Bill Belichick only had so many tricks in his bag this year, and, and they kind of ran out. And good for the Titans. Um, I, th- I mean, they're going to go into Baltimore, and I don't know. I mean, they're going to give Derrick Henry the ball 40 times. Yeah, he accounted for 73.6% of their offense yesterday, so he was basically doing everything. Um, there's another stat at some point. It was like between the eight-minute mark and the second quarter, and basically the entire third quarter, he was the only player on the Titans to account for any yardage. They didn't. They completed one pass, and that was a screen to Henry. So he completely dominated the game. We knew this is how they're going to have to win, and Patriots really didn't have an answer for them. And it's not like even... You look at the box score, you'd think the Titans completely dominated time possession um, and the amount of plays. Patriots ran two more plays than them. Time possession, Titans had three more minutes, so not really a huge difference. Uh, The second half, they basically ran it all the time, but still, no one was really doing much in the second half. The changing moment in the game, Patriots were up 10-7, had first and goal on the one, and couldn't punch it in for a touchdown to make it a two-possession game. They settled for a field goal, make it 13-7, and then Tennessee came down before the end of the half and scored, took the lead, and never relinquished it. So execution like that was pretty unpatriot-like. They had a long completion to Ben Watson in the third quarter that got uh, called back because of a penalty. Julian Edelman dropped it 
uh, big pass. So it's just things like that that we've seen the last few weeks from the Patriots and ex-Patriots. Mike Vrabel as a coach, uh, Logan Ryan, who's an ex-Patriot, had the pick six. Uh, Brian Flores, the coach of the Dolphins, you know, slaying them in week 17 to cause them to play this weekend. So all the ex-Patriots kind of coming back to bite them. So it'll definitely be an interesting offseason in Foxborough to see kind of where they go and what kind of big decisions they make with some of these guys. Yeah, so that was that was the late game uh, on Saturday evening, but the early game at 4:30. And Tyler, I watched this game at a bar. Um, they did have sound on, but I didn't have full appreciation. You told me about it, but this Bills Texans game, we got the ESPN Monday Night Football crew, Joe Testator, Booger. Um, Twitter was going crazy. Um, how bad was Booger during this game? I think it. And quick side note, I know everyone's calling for his job. We were earlier in the season. I almost think you need to keep him because he's this bad. He he's he's like Jameis. Not not in the same sense, but he's so bad he's great to listen to. He was just saying the stupidest things. The Bills <laughs> had a third down. I think it was when they were going to tie the game at the end of regulation. They had a third down and he said they should run a quick draw and then spike it the next play. So he, I guess he was assuming they would kick the field goal on fifth down. Unknown to many people that you're allowed to do that, but he's just creating new rules. Um, he was terrible. He made a comment, you know, in the playoffs, you need your playmakers to make plays. Uh, that's just riveting stuff. There were a couple other things. The, the third down one and then spike it on fourth down was the worst, but he was terrible. Um, and this game, it was like it was, so, it was so bad, but it was so good at the same time. Having ESPN announce it at the 4:30 window which is always such a bad game but this was super exciting and bills were your lock of the week plus two and a half up 16 nothing cruising. so that was that was a brutal beat for you it was cruising um it felt like it was it was too easy the bills had some chances and they couldn't convert for touchdowns so give the texans red zone defense some credit that's one of the reasons i like the bills in this one because the Texans red zone defense had been pretty bad. Um, but JJ Watt was a factor in this game. It did feel like he was in Josh Allen's face quite a bit, but the bottom line is Josh Allen. He made, I mean, he, he's brilliant. Sometimes he's kind of nauseating other times to bet on his fumble around midfield was brutal. It was really unforced. Um, I know he was being tackled, but, wasn't like the defender was hitting the ball. He just lost it. Um, that led to the first Texans touchdown. And then from there, things really just spiraled. Um, as someone who's on uh, Bills, I my lock was two and a half. I took the money line. This game was, really was crazy. Um, it ultimately kind of came down to the fact that Sean Watson, he's just a playmaker. Um, and he knows how to win games. That his play in overtime was absolutely ridiculous, especially when you see a slow motion shot of it. He gets hit from both sides, um, somehow stays up, spins out of it, completes a screen pass, and that kind of puts him in field goal range. Fairbairn hit it, and that was that. But some of the, I think, one, it was a bad beat because you're up 16 nothing late in the game. I want to pull this up real quick when the Texans scored their first. So the Texans scored their first touchdown with a minute 33 left in the third. Um, 
and it was it was literally just cruising until then. The Bills' defense flying around. Um, but again, you got to give Deshaun Watson credit. He did a lot. The play that killed me, Tyler, was in overtime. The Bills are on the verge of field goal range, and there was a block in the back call that was absolutely miserable. Um, it did did not look like a block in the back at all. Was absolutely just a football play um, that set the Bills back. Texans ultimately ended up driving down the field scoring. So that was something. But also, Tyler, it was fourth and 23, and the Bills are down three. It's like a 50, I believe, 54-yard field goal during range four, and they go for it. But they don't even go for it. They get a delay of game, and then they go for it. It's fourth and 27 and send a punting. And somehow it worked for them. Like, Sean McDermott, he's been a pretty good coach this year I, I don't know what happened like the game the game made no sense i think we're all watching at the bar being like what is he doing why aren't they kicking the field goal um and somehow it still worked out like the the bills were still able to tie it up despite the absolute like head scratching coaching at the end of the game yeah bill o'brien and mcdermott were just out doing each other with stupidity you mentioned the bills there after they get the play a game that or i mean they should have tried the field goal. They get the delay game. Punt then it. Punt it. You could have pinned them back. And then Bill O'Brien going for it on the fourth down. A little questionable. They could have punted it there, pinned them back. Instead, you set them up with great field position. They come down and score. And Josh Allen, I've never seen a game with a quarterback with such peak and valleys. He was making some throws that were incredible, scrambling on their drive in overtime on two third downs. He made great throws. I was like, wow, he looks like a you know, franchise guy. And then he makes just such dumb decisions. The fumble was really bad and you can't have that. And then their last drive of regulation, he scrambles. He's at midfield with a minute left and he just oh decides God, to pitch, pitch it as he's getting tackled. And he gets lucky that uh, it actually ball, worked out. It went out of bounds. Yeah, it got, it went out of bounds. They got lucky, but you know, the bills were up 16, nothing, but I thought they could have been up a lot more and they played a little too conservatively at the end of the first half. They had the ball. The thing was with 30 seconds left, the time was stopped. And they ran the ball up the middle with Frank Gore. It made no sense. They basically locked themselves in at that point to kick a field goal. Um, and then, you know, with Gore, we love him as 49er fans, but Devin Singletary is clearly the better running back. It makes no sense that Singletary only has five more carries than Gore. Gore should only be brought in on, like, third and ones at this point. Singletary is so much clearly the better back, and they weren't giving him the ball enough. That made no sense to me. So, you know, the Bills only being up 16 nothing in the third, they had their chances to put that game away. And as like I said to you on the Pick'em Pod, watching so much Texans games this year, there's so many games where they get outplayed, they have no business winning, and somehow they pull them out. And that's because Deshaun Watson is capable of making these crazy plays like we saw yesterday when he broke um, he broke out of that sack, threw it to Taiwan Jones, they end up kicking the game-winning field goal. And also his first touchdown run was an incredible play. They just have these explosive plays that get them back into games when it doesn't really feel like they have any business being in i mean he was sacked seven times yesterday and the bills were getting pressure all the time on him and somehow he pulled it off so you have to give him credit he's incredible and he just continues to be a star him versus mahomes next week they played earlier in the year and the texans did win that game so next week will be an awesome game to see him versus mahomes again and the bills just they continue to have bad luck they haven't won a playoff game i think playoff game since 93 obviously 
it's completely different players and everything, but just that bad mojo with franchises seems to carry through. Yeah, I mean, you could tell this game is crazy because the leading rushers for both teams were the quarterbacks. Josh Allen ran for 92 yards. Sean Watson had 14 carries for 55 yards. Both of these guys were kind of running for their lives for most of the game. Deshaun Watson got sacked seven times. Josh Allen got sacked three times. Just, I mean, especially for the early Saturday game, we're so used to those games being just miserable uh, games to watch, but this was quite the opposite, unfortunately. It was a loss, um, but what can you do? But we will take a quick break here, and then we're going to be back to talk about the Sunday games and give out our Grandpa Billy's Bum of the Week. All right, Cody, let's move on to the NFC games that took place today. Both road teams won, and let's start with Vikings Saints. Neither of us saw this coming. The Vikings go into the Superdome, win 26-20, to 20, pull off a huge upset. Like we said, everyone was kind of penciling in the Saints to win this week, go into Lambeau, win next week, and a lot of people thought they could get to the Super Bowl. But their season ends today. Um, Kirk Cousins, he didn't play great, but he made some really good, clutch plays especially to throw the Thielen in overtime what were kind of your thoughts on the game yeah I was at our cousin's birthday brunch um family first I did I did miss regulation of this game was following along on my phone a bit and I was surprised at the fact that the Vikings were just kind of hanging around I thought it was a good sign for them I saw before I left Thielen had the fumble Saints got the ball in Vikings territory and they only held him to a field goal. I was on the over, so that was not great for me. But I was like, hmm, it's interesting. Um, and was I, I definitely was rooting for the Vikings in this game, uh, just given I'd prefer to play them in the next round over uh, Seattle or mostly Seattle uh, since I was rooting for the Eagles. But whatever, we will get to that game. But this is kind of a huge missed opportunity by me here. Uh, looking at the trends, the Saints – trends at home in the dome were not great of late uh vikings have been a solid against the spread team pretty much all year and i i have been on kirk cousins corner uh for a majority of the season kind of got off towards the end because i just came to terms with what i was seeing on the field but honestly good for him uh he was he was celebrating in the locker room afterwards he said he got three words for you you like that everyone goes crazy um and you got to give him credit. That was a big-time throw uh, to Adam Thielen in, in overtime uh, to put them in position to win the game. And they stuck to the game plan that they've done for most of the year when they won. They kept the game close. They relied on their defense, uh, relied on Dalvin Cook. He had 28 carries, 94 yards, two touchdowns. Um, and they do enough to... This scene seems kind of all year, right? It's They're so enigmatic. Um They've kind of been world beaters of late offensively, putting up a ton of points. I believe it was like 34-plus points, six of the last seven games. They really were on fire, and then they're only held to 20 points at home in the Dome versus the Vikings defense that really hasn't been that great on the road this year. Um, So, I mean, the Vikings win as outright dogs. They were eight-point underdogs. I think it was about plus 300 money line, so... I, I'm I'm still a little shocked by this that the Saints and Patriots are already out in the first weekend of the NFL playoffs. 
Yeah, the Saints have just, the last few years in the playoffs, I mean, last year everyone remembers the P.I. that wasn't called versus the Rams. But if you remember from that game, the Saints had so many opportunities to put it away. That doesn't even, you don't have to rely on that missed call happening. And this year is the same thing. So Sean Payton, I said at the beginning of the year, I think he is, he's a great coach, but he has moments where he just leaves you desiring more and scratching your head. And this was another example. Their offense just couldn't get anything going. Kamara had seven rushes for 21 yards. Latavius only ran the ball five times. Their best offense today was Taysom Hill. Whenever he came in, he was able to provide a spark and get some first downs. So I don't know what happened there. Like you said, their offense had looked so great the last month. This was so annoying watching the game. Over, They showed a stat in December. The Saints averaged 40 points a game. Some people would say that's pretty good. And then Drew Brees fumbled at the end of the game, which was a huge play. They ended up getting the ball back. But at the moment, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman are like, oh, well, it might be that thumb injury. He still might have trouble gripping the ball. They've averaged 40 points a game last month. It has no effect right now. It hasn't had an effect. So that was frustrating. But Saints' game plan is just... I don't know. The Vikings, I guess, kind of have their number, right? They won in the playoffs a couple years ago against them. Mike Zimmer and uh, Sean Payton were both under Parcel, so it seems like Mike Zimmer has a good idea what Sean Payton likes to do. Um, when they weren't running a trick play with Taysom Hill, they really couldn't get much going, and it's a second straight year. They lose a game at home in overtime in the Dome, so you have to wonder, like, is this the end of the Saints run? We're talking about, about the Patriots. Drew Brees is in his 40s. This is three straight years of losing a playoff game on the last play of the game. That's mm-hmm. brutal to come back from. You can't just rub, can't shake that off and say, oh, we'll get them next year. We have all this talent. In the NFL, as everyone knows, it's hard to keep rosters together with the salary cap restriction. So the Saints might look back on this and be like, this was our window to win a Super Bowl, and they could never get it done. Yeah, I mean, they obviously got one. A while back, but with this this current team, I agree. It's brutal <laughs> three years in a row to be eliminated on the final play. Um, yeah, but I mean, bottom line is, I think a lot of people had the Saints in a teaser, just kind of as a as a no brainer, almost like a Saints Seahawks teaser. Um, and I, the the Saints blew it up. It was just like a weird year by them all season. Obviously, Michael Thomas had a monster year, set the reception record, but it seemed like Alvin Kamara like never really got going consistently. I know he's banged up, but I think they did miss Mark Ingram um, a lot this season. Uh, it seemed like Latavius Murray just w- wasn't not the same level of production there. Um, but yeah, I mean now the Vikings win and they're going to the Niners um for the 430 game next Saturday I believe the line open they're six and a half point dogs there um so I mean good for the Vikings good for Kirk Cousins is this gonna end all of the Kirk Cousin haters I don't think one win's gonna do it um and hopefully it doesn't get another but again his primetime record still stinks but Making that that big time throw in the dome in overtime uh, does take some uh, onions there. So good for him. Um, but the late game. So again, all these games, one score games. Then we had Seattle versus Philadelphia, and Tyler. This game just classic Seattle uh, more than anything. Carson Wentz gets knocked out. This. The Eagles are already playing with a skeleton crew. I tweeted that this offense right now, especially when say Josh McCown the game, is is a unit you trot out in the fourth preseason game, and they're rolling with it. 
and it was it was a one score game, and they had their chances. They had two possessions in Seattle's territory uh, when they were down seventeen and nine. Peterson, it's kind of his mo, but he was aggressive, right? He went for it on fourth and four with about four or five minutes to go. They don't get it, and then they they still had their chance late in the game and uh, could not convert. So, just. I mean, this it was just a very Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks game. I don't know how else to say it, but the entire world was on Seattle. Yeah, I think it was around 80% of the bets were on Seattle. But <clears throat> I want to point out one last thing about the Saints. Sean Payton's clock management in this game was absolutely horrendous. In the fourth quarter, the Vikings had the ball after Brees fumble, trying to run out the clock. It's around two... Sean Payton calls a timeout, I believe on second down, stops the clock. Then the Vikings are another play, the clock's running. He doesn't call a timeout. Instead, he lets the Vikings punt it, the Saints return it. Then they miss out on the two-minute warning. So that was like 45 seconds I run off the clock. And then the Saints drive down. The Vikings were playing like relaxed coverage. That made no sense when they're only up three. So Saints move right into field goal range, potential to tie the game or even take the lead. And then the Saints get a penalty. With 21 seconds left, and they have one timeout, and there's a 10-second runoff. Instead of taking the timeout and keeping the time, they take the 10-second runoff, run like a quick play, doesn't work, and they settle for a longer field goal. Like Sean Payton's clock management throughout this game made absolutely no sense, and it was so terrible. I just needed to point that out. Um, but getting back, yeah, getting back to the Seattle game. I mean, this was the score of their regular season matchup, right? 17 to nine. After it started, I'm like, why didn't we just take the under? It felt like such an easy bet. Neither of these teams are super explosive offensively, but give credit to Josh McCown. I mean, he played well in a tough spot, 18 to 24, 174 yards. I agreed with Doug Peterson's decision to go for it on that fourth down. You're down eight, kicking a field goal doesn't do anything for you in that scenario. And you also don't know with a backup quarterback if you're going to get the ball down there again. So I had no issues with that. Miles Sanders just dropped the pass. But it's classic Seattle game. Like, they didn't really do anything that great. Um, they have the third and ten. If, they, if the Eagles stop them, they get the ball back. Russell Wilson chucks up a pass. DK Metcalf makes a crazy catch. And that's the game, and that's that. So <laughs> typical Seattle. I mean, Marshawn Lynch has six rushes, seven yards, and a touchdown. But I'm sure people will be praising for him for how great he looked. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Seattle Seattle goes into Green Bay next week, and if I was a Packers fan, I would not. I mean, we didn't want to play them again. It's a 49ers fan, but this is just a team you don't want to play. They play in so many close games, and they never look that great when you're watching them, but they just know how to pull out these games. Russell Wilson is so elusive, avoiding sacks. The Eagles only had one sack on him. It felt like they were getting pretty good pressure mm-hmm. on him during the game, but they couldn't wrap him up. So... Seattle is going to be a tough out for whoever, you know, Packers next week. And then if it's the Vikings or 49ers the following week, they're going to be a tough out. And you have to feel for Carson Wentz. The last, the way the last two years have gone, Foles came in, won a Super Bowl, won a game last year. This was his chance. He had kind of carried them the last month of the season. And he gets hurt pretty quickly into this game. So that, that's a bad break for him. Yeah, the stat I loved in this game, Seattle fumbled the ball five times, and they didn't lose any of them. Um, it just was that kind of game for them, besides Wentz getting knocked out. It just seemed like all oh, the kind of 50-50 plays, everything went their way. Um, like They had, what was it, like a third and 15 or third and 18. Wilson runs, picks up the first down. Seattle just, just made plays, and 
like you said, I think you got to give the Eagles credit for even making this a game. Josh McCown's 40 years old. He's never played in a playoff game before. He was literally retired. He he was even banged up. And they were, I was like, oh, maybe Nate Sudfeld, but he's not even on the active roster. Greg Ward Jr. was going to be their emergency quarterback. Um, and the Eagles had their chance. That they, they had those couple of drives late. Um, Seattle was a point and a half. Uh, favorites on the road. Luckily, I did take the under in this game um, in addition to the Eagles, so that kind of nets out. But, Tyler, let's wrap this week up um, before we get to the divisional round next week with our Grandpa Billy's Bum of the Week. I will go first. I'll I'll let you go last um, just because I know you're going to want to vent about IU football, everything that comes with that. So I know we'll, we'll have the listeners. They'll stay tuned for that. Uh, my Grandpa Billy's Bum of the Week it's been the theme all season, um, but the NFL officiating just continues to be miserable. I I personally was really annoyed by the Bills blocking the back that I talked about, the 15-yard penalty that really altered that game. Uh, Hauschka was going to have a chance to kick a field goal in overtime um, for a chance to win. And then in this Eagles-Seahawks game, the play that actually knocked Wentz out, the NFL, they get so heavily criticized for protecting the quarterback, protecting the quarterback. There are often, most most games, it seems like there's a questionable roughing the passer penalty, some kind of helmet-to-helmet where you're like, I don't know, that's the rule. But it was very clearly, Genevieve Clowney hit Carson Wentz as he's going down, helmet-to-helmet, led to the concussion. I mean, there's, what, four NFL referees on the field at a given time? I don't know how you miss that, especially... The quarterback is is the focal point of every single play in the NFL, especially when they're running and giving themselves up. It seems like those plays always draw some kind of penalty. Um, Twitter's going crazy. If that was college football, that'd be targeting. He'd be kicked out. Um, and I think there is some validity to that point. Um, so NFL referees are my grandpa Billy's bum of the week. Is it the most original take? No, it's not. But they continue to just be subpar. And I don't know what the right fix is here, but you can't miss plays like that, especially in a one-score game like this, where a 15-yard penalty is huge. Um, so NFL referees, Grandpa Billy's bum of the week. Yeah, that, the one-on-ones is especially terrible. When the quarterback gets hit like that, That that's always a flag. And I feel like it usually goes the way where you don't think it should be a penalty. But that one was obvious. And then they called one... Uh, after that on Russell Wilson roughing the passer that was so much less egregious than the hit on Wen. so it's frustrating and even a play like yesterday in the Texans Bills game you mentioned the block in the back when Deshaun Watson scores that first touchdown when he runs he like broke a few tackles carried a guy on his back like that's such an exciting play everyone's like in the crowd getting into it all the momentum and the refs have to take five minutes to review if he gets in and it's like maybe he's down at the half inch uh, mark and it would be first and goal on the one but just like stuff like that like get it right on the field the play in the Saints game uh, earlier today when Thielen fumbles they pick it up run it back to the 10 but it was clear and obvious that uh, Von Bell and the Saints steps out at the 35 yard line they have a line judge standing right there in front of him to make a call like that you could see he steps out and then it, w- it wastes another five minutes reviewing it and the calls to get overturned and set back correctly. It's like, what what are these guys paid for? You have to get the calls right. It's not just the missed calls. It's the reviews that are so annoying. And 
What did what did you think about the Rudolph one? Did you think that was PI? No, I didn't. Um, I was at first. So I'm streaming. I cut the cord here, classic millennial. So I'm a couple seconds behind. You texted me. I was like, oh my god, Vikings won. You're like they're reviewing. Then I see that they're reviewing. They were both like essentially pushing each other. Um, it wasn't egregious enough, in my opinion, for it to be called a pass interference. Um, I don't know. I mean, Sean Payton looks for any any excuse to complain, um, but to me, that that was not offensive pi. So that no. so that in my mind was one they actually got right. No, I agree with you. I think in the there's a lot of plays like that with the receiver, and they're just fighting like that. Someone posted on Twitter a picture of Michael Thomas doing the same thing in an earlier game this year. So it goes back and forth, and no one wants to see, unless it was so obvious where he just shoves the defender down and catches it, unless it's going to be that, they're not overturning it. And the Saints, the Saints will always point at the refs and cry. That's why they lose games. But like I said, this game today, the game versus the Rams last year, they had their opportunities, and they made mistakes. The coaching, Breeze turnovers you can't if you're always in a position where you're blaming the officials there's probably something you're doing wrong 100 mm-hmm. um tyler so you're grandpa billy's bum of the week uh aka and iu football minute so cross promotion here between segments yeah so my grandpa <laughs> billy's bum of the week is iu football and tom allen and the coaching staff and just the iu football uh what did i call them earlier in the year oh the moral 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 victory victory parade. Yeah, the moral victory brigade. So Indiana played in the Gator Bowl on Thursday night, and it was a pretty like it's a pretty notable bowl game that isn't considered you know New Year's Six or a playoff game. Um, It was a Thursday night late in bowl season, so it was really the only game going on on ESPN. So people are watching it, and Indiana had a chance to get the first nine win season since 1967. It's a long time ago. Cody and myself were not born yet. Um, They're up 22 to nine. With five minutes ago, they end up losing 23-22. Entering this scenario in college football this year, <laughs> teams that were uh, up by at least 13 points in the final five minutes of the game were 471-0. and So no one has lost in that scenario until IU. They let Tennessee drive down the field 82 yards in two minutes to cut the lead to six. Then Tennessee does a... Onside kick. IU is not prepared. Tennessee recovers it, scores again. So I or so Tennessee scores 14 points in 30 seconds to take the lead. We end up losing the game, and then the moral victory brigade, which I despise on Twitter, just <laughs> someone tweeted, uh, an IUB writer tweeted this. I get the complaints about management of the game, but IU took this game to the wire without two starters. Its best playmaker was all but absent. Its defense was backed into its own red end zone on three straight drives rallied the kicker from the Purdue game like shut up that is such a loser (laughs) mentality you're up 13 points with five minutes ago like I said no one's lost in college football this year under that scenario until IU there all this shows is another loss another year you don't win a bowl game another year you don't get a good win this would have been a win versus an SEC team in Tennessee who prides itself on football so it's such a weak ass mentality. And then Tom Allen, the coach, after the game, uh, tweets, "Who's your nation? Thank you for your amazing support in Jacksonville at the Gator Bowl. You were awesome. Our team will learn from this, continue to grow together, and prepare for the 2020 season." Hashtag love everyone. Like again, another loser with a loser mentality. Until you win these games, it doesn't mean shit. Like I said, this was a prime time game on a Thursday night. 
people are watching this game and all IU does is show it's it's the same old IU. They can pull out these games. IU won eight games this year. Their best win was versus Nebraska, who won five games. So they still they just won the games they should have. It's pathetic. I'm so sick of it. Everyone has this, oh, we played hard. You know, played hard. They gave such great effort. <laughs> it's the bowl game. You should play hard. You. Ugh, I, I hate IU football. I just hate IU sports in general right now because IU basketball. <laughs> sucks too um so that's my bum of the week iu football just blowing that bowl game was just so typical and pathetic uh thank you for that tyler that was very good um lived up to the hype um i the the biggest issue i had with um the end of that game was tennessee goes right down the field which was kind of predictable when they're down two scores but there's four minutes to go we're up six points and we're not even considering the fact that they might do an onside kick. Like, are you kidding? Um, worst case scenario, especially in college, Tyler, can't you, like, just fair catch everything? So even even if you have, like, two guys back and everyone else up and you're not in a great position to catch the ball, can't you just fair catch it? Yeah, I mean, I think you still have to catch the ball, but to not be prepared for an onside kick is laughable. And at the end of the first half, his time management was pathetic. IU was down 6 nothing. They were driving. They got a first and goal with eight seconds left. They have a timeout. They don't use the timeout. Instead, they run up to the line and spike it, and there were only three seconds left. And at that point, we only could settle for the field goal. So just stuff like that. And then they called two really bad timeouts early in the second half which hurt them because they had the ball at the end of the game and they could have used those timeouts to get further down the field. So it was just terrible coaching all around. Tom Allen still sucks. All he is is a cheerleader. He literally provides no value when it comes to X's and O's in football. So just another year with IU just being incredibly disappointing. So ugh, they suck. Yep, and that's uh, that's IU football. And I mean, we were close to having more than three people caring about this team but i think that's going to roll over for another year um michael Penix coming back so maybe there's a little excitement there but we shall see um but an incredible nfl weekend four one square games and a wild wild card weekend um and now we get the divisional round and tyler besides the 49er game which which matchup are you most looking forward to here hmm I think I'm looking forward to Chiefs-Texans. Uh, like I said, they already played this year, and that was a really good game. Deshaun versus Mahomes, same draft class, two of the best young quarterbacks. So I think that'll be another great game. What about you? I am very much excited to see uh, Seattle in Green Bay. Um, rooting very hard for the Packers in this scenario. Hopefully we get some kind of snow game. In a game with Rodgers and Russell Wilson, I think we're guaranteed for some ridiculous plays and antics. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait. Divisional weekend is is the best weekend um, in the NFL with all the top teams playing. So we will be back this week to break it down, give out our picks. And, uh, yeah, Tyler, anything else? Go Niners. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. 
relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.